You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. Amen. Good morning, church. How we doing? All right, you're awake. That's half the battle. My job is to stay awake with you. That is what I'm going to do this morning. So if we haven't met, my name is Simon. I am one of the pastors here at the church. I'd love to meet you if I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, As we've been talking about, we are coming to the end of Ruth. If this is your first time, welcome to the last installment of the book of Ruth. It's probably not going to make a lot of sense, but we're going to do our best to make that happen. Um, Before we even jump in, Here's what I'd love to do this morning. We have sent some messages out to the life groups. We have been asking you to be thinking about the book of Ruth, what you've learned, what's been going on. When we finished our James series, we took time to celebrate finishing a book of the Bible. I think it's important that we would celebrate these moments when we get to a spot where we we spend a lot of time studying one thing and what God would want for us. And we can end that and just move on our way, but I think we miss an opportunity. And the opportunity is that we can actually encourage each other by what we've been learning. Sometimes the thing that you're learning is the very thing that someone actually needs to learn in this room. And by hearing what you're going through, encourages them to know that there is a God who loves them, who's working in their life as well. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of step back here. And I'm going to allow you all the opportunity to share out loud in this room what God has been doing in your life through this study. It could be something that he's like, man, God revealed this thing in my life that I needed to let go of. Uh, I needed to, I came to Christ for the first time, or God showed me this aspect of the book of Ruth that I had never seen before. And we're not looking for a big dissertation. We're looking for a sentence or two that you would just stand up and do that. So I'm going to step back. And when you're ready, be bold, stand up, Share what God's been teaching you so we can all celebrate together. For those online, you may not be able to hear it, so just bear with us. The sound will come back when I start talking. We should just pray and call it a, call it a day. I think you guys have done all the work here for me. Um, there's obviously, we could keep doing this all day long. And I would encourage you, uh, if you're like, I'm just not the talk out loud in a big room kind of person, write it on the note. The, the project we're putting together should kind of highlight a lot of the same things we've learned. So I encourage you to do that. Drop those in the baskets. We'd love to see more of what you're doing. Um, let me, you know what? Let me just thank God for what he's, he's been doing in this church, and then we'll just jump in. Jesus, thank you for how you are speaking to your people. Thank you how you, your word does what it always does. It doesn't come back void that it transforms hearts, it changes us, it opens us up to understanding who you are and who we are in light of that. Lord, I ask that as you have been moving amongst your people, that you would continue to move about your people, that you would continue to convict and change hearts and encourage and bring hope in hopeless situations. I thank you that you've given us this story that points to our story and that you've used this to transform lives. I pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. So here's the thing. We all have a story and we've all come from different places, right? Have you ever asked the question, maybe this is a good time to ask that question, how did I get in this room today? You ever wonder, like, as you've gone through life and all the different places we've come from, you're like, but how did I get here today in this room, at this church, sitting in this service? Because everything leads to something. You didn't just, you know, didn't wake up and stumble in a room like, hey, I'm in a church. That's, maybe you did. If you did, I'd like to meet you. But I doubt that that's how you got here. So for me, 
I was born in San Jose, California. Lived in a little town called Cupertino that a corporate monster took over. And then I ended up moving to Salem, Oregon. My mom couldn't take the rain, so we moved back to San Jose. And then from there, God called me into ministry. I moved to Palmdale, California. And then the Lord said, hey, I need you up in Seattle, Washington. Went up there for five years. And then God said, now I need to come back down to Southern California. And now I'm in Orange County, California. And here I am at Grace Hills. Yeah. I'm glad you're happy about that. Because if not, it'd be a real letdown for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, but in that process, God was working through the whole thing. God had a plan all along and he was opening doors and shutting doors and using people to speak to me. And, and as all these things were happening, I realized that all this stuff that God was doing in my life personally was affecting something bigger than just myself because I had connections. I met people. I encouraged people. I got to do life with people. And through that, my small blessings, my small story starts to bleed into a larger story that we're all existing in today. And I'm sure if you were to start to walk through your life, you would see that you have gone through a lot of different places and changes to get into this room because God has a plan and that he's working in our lives. See, this story that we've been in for the last six weeks has really highlighted that idea that God's hand has been over this entire story. He's been in the main three characters. He's been working in them, showing them something different for where they are and what they're going through, showing how he is good and he is kind and he has encouraged them all in different ways. But yet in all these different ways that he's working, he's working in one major way that we get to experience. Now, as we end today, I, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to see that this life that we go through isn't all for naught. It's not, it's not a story of chaos off the rails, but it's a story of a God who's in control of all things that has a plan to redeem the world. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, please take it, keep it, use it, read it. That's what we'd love for you to do. Uh, or you can follow along on the screen as I read. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid, him, laid her on his, on his lap to, as the nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray and jump in. Jesus, I ask that you would speak through me this morning, that these would not be my words, these would be your words. As we look at what you've been doing all throughout history, that we would see that you are a God who has a plan from the very beginning. You have a plan for each and every one of us. 
that you've gone to great lengths to save us. Lord, if there are things that I shouldn't say, please take those off my mind, my notes, my mouth. If there are things that I need to say that aren't on my notes, that I would trust you to know that you are speaking through me to give a message to these individuals. But Lord, I ask that we would walk away encouraged. I love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. We have seen a lot of tragedy in this story, right? The story starts with a family that leaves. Uh, they leave their homeland. They go to a place called Moab, and then tragedy hits. The father dies. The two kids die. They're left with these, this wife is left with these two daughter-in-laws, and she's like, I don't know how to care for you best. I think it's best for you to stay here. One stays. One goes with her named Ruth. They come back to Bethlehem. As they're in Bethlehem, they realize that they are poor. They do not have money, and they have to find a way to live and sustain life. And through that process, we see that God starts orchestrating this plan as Ruth goes out to the fields to get food. She meets a man named Boaz. Boaz then, we find out that he is a worthy man, that he represents a picture of Jesus and who he is and what he does in our life. And that he is a redeemer that can redeem Naomi, that can redeem Ruth and bring them to a place where they are meant to be, to be saved and fulfilled and complete. And that's exactly what we saw last week as Boaz then redeems Ruth. And here we enter into our story today. But through all that tragedy, maybe you are like, I feel that tragedy. I feel that brokenness. I feel that loss. I feel that hurt. And it can feel like at times in the middle of tragedy that it's meaningless. Why is all this happening? Why is, is it just pain for pain's sake? Is it suffering for suffering's sake? Is it because uh, the world is just running its course and this is what I have to deal with? See, what I want to tell you is it's not. This story has been a picture of that. And that through this tragedy, what we see is that God is working something that is tragic into something with joy. And he's going to do that by showing his loyalty through the entire story. If you're in that spot today, if you feel like you're in that spot of hurt and pain and, and anguish and suffering and loss, my hope would be that this gives you hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Now, we're going to start with this idea of new life and new identity as we jump into the verse uh, 13. As we enter the section, we see that Boaz has taken Ruth to be his wife, and God has opened her womb, and she has had a baby boy. This is the thing that they've all been kind of culminating around that this would take place. There's a few things that we need to look at here as we kind of jump into what's happening in the story. The first one is this. This is the second stop time in the book of Ruth that is directly referenced that the Lord has done something. Now, we know that he has been doing something the entire time, but this is the only the second time. The first is in chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, And the Lord gave the Israelites food and a harvest. And now we have the second section in 4.13 where it says, and God allowed her to conceive and have a child. It's important to note that though we may not see it all the time, that it's bookend, isn't it? He started by doing something, he's ending by doing something, and everything in between is him doing something. The other thing that we have to remember is that Ruth was married before, somewhere around 10 years. But what wasn't she able to do? She wasn't able to have a child. During that time, she didn't have the ability to do that, and we see that God has blessed her with a child. 
It's important to note, as you go through the Bible, there's a lot of important women in the Bible that were unable to have children through the stories. And I'll just name a couple of them as God intervened in their lives. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Hannah, Elizabeth, Ruth. Yet all these women gave birth to key figures in Israel's history. Every single one of them was importantly used by God. And what, at times in that culture, if you couldn't have kids, you were kind of like a, a whatever, a worthless individual, which is horrible. But God takes that that has been cast aside by, by society and uses it for his glory all the time. As God says, no, you're my child. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a meaning for you. And what we see is that Ruth now has a new identity. As she has been going through the story, it started out that she was the pagan. And then she was a servant at some level. And now she's a wife. See, everything that has happened to her in the story has been moving her identity from a place that was undesirable that was to desirable. That there's a new identity that she has. She's a part of God's people. She belongs now. And she's going to contribute to the promise that God has for his people. And you know what I love the best about this? He's using somebody outside of the people of God to do that. It's so amazing how God is always orchestrating all these things. But within that, we see that God is a God that changes. Someone that was outside is someone that's now inside. And here's the thing. We don't always understand what God is doing. It's hard in the thick of it to know, like, how does this contribute to the purpose of God? How does this have anything to do with the bigger picture of God's plan of redemption for the world? They didn't understand it. But we can see it in hindsight as we know what God has given us. What looked like the worst situation for Ruth and for Orpah and for Naomi has turned into this beautiful story of great blessing. See, God was working to give her a new idea that was better than the last. My second point is the response to God's faithfulness. See, we're going to shift our focus from Ruth to Naomi for a while here. But you know what we see when God is faithful? People notice those things. People can see when God is moving, even when we can't. The women in this town, they have seen that God has clearly been working in Naomi's life and that they point to the one who's really been doing all the work. Here's who they don't point to. They don't point to Ruth. They don't point to Boaz. They don't point to Naomi and, and pulling up her bootstraps. Who do they point to? God, capital L-O-R-D, the proper name of God, Yahweh. That's who they point to, that he has been faithful the entire time in this story. Even when it feels like he hasn't been, they're saying, but he has been because all these things led to where you are now, which is where you have this blessing. Look at how he's been working through your life. Look at how he's redeemed you. Look at how he's not forgotten you. Look at how he took sweet Naomi who became bitter Mara and because of this situation has redeemed her and now she is back to being made sweet again. She has joy again in her life. Where she once had no joy, she literally has joy. And these women are just kind of pouring over Naomi all that God has done. And I guess my question is, is this, how often do you step in and tell others how you've seen God work in their life. 
How often do you talk with someone and say, you know what, I just want to let you know, I have seen God do this in your life and this in your life and all these events. Look at how God has orchestrated all these things to be where you are today. Do you realize that these women are a blessing to Naomi and we can be a blessing to others as well? Sometimes when we're in the thick of it, it's really hard to see, isn't it? But you can bring encouragement to a dark, hard situation by just pointing to God and his faithfulness. And maybe you need to do this in your own life. Maybe you just need to ask the question, God, what have you done in my life? And start walking through and recounting all that God's done in your life. Here's the thing. Satan, the enemy, he wants you to be forgetful people. He doesn't want you to remember. He wants you to forget all the good things that God has done. He wants you so focused on yourself and your own situations. And then you'd be like, my life's horrible. My life sucks. It's not going great. Everything's a mess. This is the worst. Me, 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 I, I, I. You can't see anything. You can't see anything at all. And what he's saying is, if you look to what God has done, it takes that focus off of where you are right now as a testimony. We testify to what God has done in our life, and we can do that to ourselves at different times. Sometimes we need others to do it. Sometimes we need to just kind of say, God, what's going on here? Okay, you've been faithful here. You've been faithful here. You've been faithful here. Why would I doubt that you're not going to be faithful in this? We need to remember all that God has done. And what I love is the ladies then call out a blessing on this child, this new baby that's been born, so that he would be famous in all of Israel. May he be talked about so often that all would remember that God is done by the evidence of this child. We have to remember this Bible and we're going to go through this in a little bit more detail here, is one giant story of the faithfulness of God from beginning to end. And that's who he is. He's a faithful God. They asked that he would bring uh, great joy in her life. This is what I love. She came back from Moab, and what did she say? I am Mara. She's bitter, and, she's, and she said, my cup is empty. I got nothing. I got no joy, I got no happiness, I'm bitter, I got an empty cup. But now we see that this child will bring great joy and will fill her cup. Not just put something in her cup, that it would overflow with joy. I love when you see someone who is bitter and angry at the world then overflow with joy because that is only the work of God that does that in the life of the individual. And he says that this child will bless you in your old age. Meaning what? That this child will provide. This child will be able to keep the family name aligned. This child will be the one that will work the land, make money, provide for her financially and her comfort in her old age. That she will not be left alone. That this redeemer will provide forever. That's the idea that needs to be communicated through here. Little would she know how big of a blessing this child would be, not just to her family, not just to the people of Israel, but to the entire world. What she saw was how God was providing in her situation, right? Her specific individual situation. See, God does this all the time. He's always meeting needs in our lives. And we can look at it and go, oh, look at what God's doing for me. Look at how this is working out for me. And that's true. He is doing that for you. But that's not where it stops. See, as he's blessing you, he's also blessing others through those blessings. 
He does both simultaneously all the time. And as you start to look at what's going on in her life, her blessings became the world's blessings. And that's the amazing part of how God can bless in this small way and this large way all at the same time. And that's a part of like, so it's our story, it's my story, but it's our story. Then they start to talk about this worthy woman, Ruth. They identify who she is. She is a worthy woman and they want blessings on her and how she is. In that day and in that age, we have to remember this idea of sons were a blessing that promoted the family name. It promoted, it promoted the ability that you could sustain life, that you could work a harvest, that you could make money. And then they say this thing that Ruth, this woman who loved you, so we know that they have a deep bond relationship, is better than seven sons. And you're like, that's a weird thing. Why would they use the number seven for seven sons? Because in the Bible, the number seven is associated with completion. That's what that number represents. Meaning this, that God has used this foreign woman to bless her and to make her whole and to make her complete by showing the loyalty and love of God in this situation. Like that's what they're saying in this moment to her. And because Ruth was willing to be a loyal, loving daughter-in-law, what Naomi got to see was a picture of the love of God and the loyalty of God in her own life. Because sometimes... We can hear about it, but we need that tangible expression, don't we? We need to, to feel and to taste and to touch the love of God, the loyalty of God, the faithfulness of God. Do you realize that's what we're called to as Christians? And maybe a good question to ask is, how are you a blessing and a picture of God to others? How are, how are you doing that? How are you living a life that shows other people Jesus and everything that you do? How are you showing the faithfulness and the loyalty of God? We all have choices every single day, all throughout the day, that we can be a picture of God and point to him, or we can be a picture of something else and point away from him. I mean, think about this. Think about how God used Ruth to be a light to the loyalty of God that they would both become redeemed through that. Now, our God is a God who reverses us. That's what he does. That's kind of his gig. Now, I don't know what family night looks like at your home, um, but we have a game that we play. We're always arguing over what games to play at our house. But there's a game that we play every so often. It's a game of uno. It's a game of friendship. It's a game of being kind to others. It's a game where you put others' needs before your own. I can tell you've all played uno. Now, games in the Price family get loud and aggressive. It's, it's, it's a cutthroat world that we live in, and Uno is a good example of that cutthroat world. There are no friends in Uno in the Price household. Now, you may see my wife, and she's like, she's so petite, and she's so adorable, and she seems so kind. She is not. <laughs> she will take out your legs in that game. She is the first one to call Uno every time, so you have to pick up, pick up two more cards. She's not loving in that game. My marriage is good. I get concerned sometimes, though. But when you're playing Uno, and you're kind of on a roll, and the cards are going around, you've got your cards all lined up, you've got your colors, you've got your numbers, you've got your Hitman cards, right? 
And it's coming around you, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're putting everything I, I have. I have so many cards I can play right now, and I can hose somebody. And you're like ready to go, and then they do the worst thing in the entire world. They pull out this evil, wicked little card, and it goes the other direction. So all of your planning and scheming of knowing what people are putting down is all shot. And now you got to go the other way, and you're like, but I've been thinking about them. And so now you got to regroup and go around the whole thing and get to that point. It's the worst card. <laughs> Why am I talking about Uno? <laughs> because this is exactly what God does to us. We are going one direction. And God comes in and he says, I am going to reverse everything that's happening. The things that you think are going well, I am reversing. I'm going to change you in the direction that is the right direction to go. God is doing the great reversal in each and every one of our lives through Jesus Christ. I mean, look at the story. Look at the differences in the people and how he has reversed so much in the lives of these people. Naomi, she went from empty to full, out of community into community, without children to now having grandchildren, hopeless to redeemed. And my favorite, and we've said it already and I'll say it again, from bitter to sweet, you look at Ruth and what she's gone through. She's a widow, and now she's remarried. She was in pain, and she's received rest. She was a pagan. Now she's a child of God. She was hopeless, and now she's redeemed. She was barren, and now she's pregnant. And my favorite is from servant to wife. Do you see how God is reversing all of their lives and changing everything for better? See, God would use this man, Boaz, to, to bring that hope to his people. Well, how did he do that? Ultimately, by living in a way that was in line with God and his will for his life. And by doing that and being faithful with the little things in life, God used him to do powerful and amazing things. We don't know if Boaz was married, but the text kind of alludes to the fact that he was never married. And he was an older guy. He was a, a, a landowner who had a lot of money. But what does God do in his life? He reverses him. And instead of just being a landowner, he makes him a redeemer. And then through being a redeemer, he makes him a father. And then through that, he makes him a man who would go down in history as a righteous and godly man. Isn't that amazing what God does? See, this is what God does in each and every one of our lives. He takes the old and he makes it new. We're going one way and he reverses us and makes us go the other way. This is what the Christian's life looks like now. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or if we look in Colossians 3, 9 through 11. I'm going to start in 8. Sorry, guys in the back. But now you must... Put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are being transformed we are being changed. 
That's what God does in the life of his people. This is what the gospel does for each and every one of us. We were dead in our sins and trespasses and he has made us alive with Christ. And what I love is it's not that all the the being new and doing righteous, that's not what saves us, right? That's not what got us there. But it's the evidence of those that have been saved that we were not righteous. We have been given the righteousness of Christ and now we can live that righteousness out to show the world who he is the exact same way that Ruth did when it came to God's loyalty and love. The effects of sin, the brokenness that it brings, the punishment for that life, all that wanting to belong, It's been switched with a new identity. That's what Jesus does. He gives us this new identity. Just like Ruth, as we were enemies of God, we are now welcomed into his family. How is this possible? Only through the power and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. That is the only way that new identity comes. That's why we say our life is hidden in Christ, meaning that Christ is our new identity. It's no longer our identity. It's not Simon. I'm... I am a representation of Christ now and everything I do is to represent and to look like Christ in every way. I'm hidden in him. I have his righteousness. I can do that now. All of this means that we have a new identity. Does that change our situation? Not necessarily. My life gonna get all better and great? Not necessarily. You think that Naomi and Ruth were asking those questions? Ruth's like, hey, I love this God of Israel now. Situation was still kind of rough. It was hard. But here's what it does. Maybe the situation doesn't go away. But there's hope that this is not it. This is not all there is. Without that hope, what's the point of being around If life's just going to be one punch in the gut after another, why do I endure? Why do I sustain? Why do I go on? Because there is a God that loves you, who cares for you, who died for you, that has given you hope that you can survive for eternity with him for forever, that you will be with the Father, that you are not alone, that you do belong, that this is not, like, this is as close to hell for Christians that we'll ever get. Think about that. For those who don't know Jesus, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever get. You guys, it feels like everything's out of control and it's not. See, he may get you through that situation. You may see how he works on on this side of eternity. We don't know. The same way that Ruth and Naomi didn't know. As we come to the last section of this, what we see is that there are these names that come up. There's three names and there's a bunch of names. Why is that so important? We're talking about this idea of lineage. We're talking about this idea of genealogy. There's so much I want to read that I don't have time to today, but I will read some stuff here in a second. But we see these names that the child's name is Obed. Obed has a child whose name is Jesse. Jesse has a child whose name is David. We're going to talk about why that's important, what God's doing. It's how God is saving the world. So we have talked about how this story is really a bigger story in and of itself. Not only that it's a picture of the gospel, but it's actually this one moment in time. These four chapters are pointing to what God's going to do uh, ultimately through all of the New Testament. 
is where he's going with that, and that it's not happening by chance. It's not some circumstance. So what I want to do is I kind of just want to walk through the Bible, and I want to show you how God's hand has been over this entire situation. And I'm going to kind of highlight, I'm going to zip through. You can look these up later in your sermon notes, uh, and you can do those also with the life group questions. All those, this references will be there. So if you don't write them down fast enough, it's okay. We have them written down. But let me start all the way back when sin entered the world in Genesis 3.15. Sin comes into the world. The punishments are being given out by God. And then God says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking to Satan. I'll beat, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise his, your, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Already talking about what's going on here. That this sin, this brokenness, this enemy, that there's going to be some kind of battle, some kind of defeat that's going to take place, that's going to deal with the problem of sin and what's going on. In Genesis 12, we see that through Eve, this offspring will come, but then we get to Genesis 12, and there's this new guy on the scene, Abram. And it says this in 12.3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we now see that we're going from Adam and Eve, that there's going to be this kid that's going to come. And then we see that now we're connected to this guy named Abram, and that guy's going to become Abraham, and that he's going to bless the entire world. And then if you go to 18.18... Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. Okay, saying the same thing, that Abraham is going to be a blessing to the world through his offspring in some way. Jump over to Genesis 49, 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the, the tribute comes to him, and to him shall all be the obedience of the people. So what we find now, from Eve to Abraham, now we got this guy named Judah that there's going to be some kind of kingship that's not going to end. So now it's getting a little bit more specific in where it's going. In Isaiah 9, starting in 6 through 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do we see like what's happening here? It's just continually building out and where this kid's going to come from, what this man is ultimately going to do. And now we have the name David, which is the same David that we're talking about all the way back in Ruth. This is where this Messiah, this Savior, this Christ will come from. If we go to, what is it, Micah? Micah 5, 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are of little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old and ancient days. So now we know where this one's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. By the way, where does the story of Ruth take place? I got nervous there. Yes, it's Bethlehem. That's where it's going to take place. And so now we see that it's all starting to come together. 
in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, 5, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, that this, this person from the branch of David, he will be a king and he will execute justice and righteousness all across the land. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says he's going to establish a throne that will never end. And then in case you were confused about who this guy is, he actually tells us at the very end of the Bible, the last chapter in Rev, uh, Revelation 22, verses 16, says, I, Jesus, Jesus is speaking, saying, I am this guy. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of who? David, the bright morning star. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he came from. There's no confusion that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one to save the world from sin. That's what he's doing. That's why this story is so am amazing. David was to be this example of the king that Israel needed. They needed to be ruled and reigned in a right way. The problem is this, is that David... While he was known as the pinnacle of kings, he made a lot of moral failures. So is this really all about David? No. The reason it's important that we're talking about David is David gets us to Jesus. That's the important part. If you want to know more about this lineage, I'm not going to read it all. Read Matthew 1, the genealogy, which we all skip as kids because it's like, oh, there's a bunch of boring names. I want to get to the good stuff. Matthew 1 is the good stuff. <laughs> that is what makes it so good because it shows you that Jesus comes all the way from that line. He fulfills all the prophecies about who this man is going to be and what he's going to do. And here's the best part. Jesus is the better King David. He's just perfect in every single way. And what we see is this story that looks like two desperate widows who need to be redeemed. That's not what it's really about. It's a part of it. It's there. It is for them. But that's not what it's really about. It's about a desperate nation, Israel, that needs to be saved, that needs to be redeemed. And even more so, it's about a desperate world that needs to be saved because of the works and effects of sin in this world. See, God is in the business of redeeming and saving people. That's what he does. If you keep looking at the men and women throughout the Bible, what you find is you find a lot of broken, messed up people that are needing to be saved, that have massive flaws in their life. To highlight that we all have massive flaws, we all have sin in our life, we all need to be saved just like them. If you start to go down the line of all these individuals, it's almost comical Abraham's family business was making false idols. Sarah laughed at God. Moses killed a guy. God saves the Ninevites, the Assyrians. David, a man after God's own heart, sleeps with his buddy's wife and then has him killed to cover it up. Seems like a good friend. Peter denies Jesus three times. Paul kills a ton of Christians. Oh, I wanted to do a whole thing on this, but I'm not. I'm going to do a short thing on this. Do you know who Boaz's mom is? Do you, do you even know who this is? 
It's Rahab, the prostitute, the foreigner in Jericho who let the spies in. She ends up residing, it tells us, that she ends up becoming an Israelite with them. She marries a guy named Solomon, and that guy has a kid named Boaz. I love that God is using these outsiders to accomplish his goal, and in the line of Jesus is a prostitute, a foreign prostitute. How good is our God that he does this? How he redeems. And Boaz, do you think that he's seen the picture of redemption in his mom? Why do you think it was so easy for him to see the picture of redeeming Ruth? See, God's love is more powerful than our sin. It's more powerful than our past. And God forgives freely. And as I thought about this idea, though he forgives freely and offers it all freely, it was very costly. It cost God his son. It cost him his very life. As you walk away from this series, I want you to know that you have value, not because you're some amazing person, because you're made in the image of God. Because you're made in the image of God, God's love and grace and mercy is pointed directly towards you because he loves his children. He has gone to great lengths to redeem them and to save them and to bring them back to him. Every week we talk about the exact same thing. I got nothing else. This is all I got. I'm just gonna talk about Jesus every single week and what he's doing in our lives. Please don't fire me. (laughs) We don't always know how God is working all these things out. We don't always understand that he has this plan to redeem you and to redeem the world. See, Naomi and Ruth didn't know what God was doing. They didn't understand it in the moment. But all those blessings that were prayed over them, that were prayed over Naomi and were prayed over Ruth and all those things, they all came true. But you know where they came true in? the mundaneness and common life that they were existing in. See, we love the big scenes, the big powerful moments, but that's just not life. Life is full of routine and the mundane and the common. And yet this is where God is working and he brings meaning and purpose to it. He brings meaning and purpose to you in the everyday actions of your life. And he's showing us Boaz and Ruth as an example of being faithful to following and listening and having high character. Trust me in the little things. Watch me work in the big things. You might be a Naomi or a Ruth. I always think of like big productions and, you know, if you've ever been to Vegas or you've been to a play or a musical or something, there's all these things that are happening. We only focus on the stars most of the time, don't we? Well, they have the spotlight. They have the most lines. Do you realize that there's like hundreds of people that are running lights and sound and um, they're running all the stage sets and moving things around and the costume changes, the makeup people, and if those people weren't there, that that play wouldn't happen? Couldn't happen. So we may be a Ruth or a Naomi kind of in the background. And God's using all of our life as background parts for his bigger story. Now, maybe you're going to be a David or a Moses or a Boaz or an Abraham. Maybe God's going to do that. But at the end of the day, you know what's really great about all of those individuals? They don't care about their glory. They're all about 
promoting God's story, who he is and what he's done through history and how he's redeeming his people back to himself. We have a God that reverses us on a cosmic scale and he is calling you to that. I don't know where you are in your walk. You may have stumbled in here and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today. I do. Because God wants you to hear that his son died for you and if you've placed your life in his life, you too will be saved and you will have an eternity with the Father that you will have a hope that will never fade or go away. And for those of you, my friends, who know and love and worship Jesus, doesn't mean that we're shielded from the pains of this world. But I want to encourage you with this, this is that God is working through all of that, that is all not for naught, that there is purpose and meaning in these things and that God is going to use all of them to show his glory and his power. And we may never understand why or how, like we saw in the story of, with Ruth, but on the other side of eternity, it's going to make sense. Because when we can see the way that God sees and understand what God understands, we'd say, well, of course that's the, way, that's the best way we could have done this. Of course that's the only way we can take this sinful situation and make it bring glory to God. Let us worship the God who redeems us. Let us point to the God who changes everything about us. Let's pray.